Thanks for being with us this morning as we continue in our series called Unstuck. This morning, we're going to be talking to you about being unstuck in your faith. And last week, I asked you to respond to this question. It was a question we uh, put for you to tweet us or put it on your Facebook and hashtag it FBC Unstuck. But the question was, I used to believe that God, and then we heard a whole bunch of responses. I want to read some of them for you. One said, I used to think that I could find a God in the rituals of my religion, but I felt unsatisfied. I traded, I traded religion for a relationship. I used to believe that God had laws for you to follow to get into heaven. Now I realize that it's grace through Jesus Christ. One thing I used to believe about God was that he was a good guy, but he was busy. He was distant. He really didn't notice me. Someone also said, I used to believe that my prayer, that, that, uh, God was too busy to hear my prayers. Another person said, I used to believe my prayers were insignificant. You know, your view of God, uh, will change how you live by faith, won't it? And, uh, today we're here to just kind of unpack what has caught us, what gets us stuck with faith. What does it look like to be stuck? With faith. You know, whenever I feel a distance between me and God, I kind of run through a grid. It takes me to be intentional, which we called you into last week, that the unstuck life is an intentional life. So when I'm frustrated, when I'm feeling distant, when I'm angry or questioning God, I, I tend to just run through these. And by the way, I'm a pastor, so they all begin with the same word, letter, excuse me. Uh, the first one is this. Um, it's distracted. It's easy to be distracted. We live in one of the most distractive, distracted cultures in the world. When you see a group of people, how many, and I, I don't know, I just dare you to do this. How many are looking down on a smartphone and walking straight forward? Not, I mean, there's people all around us. We're even crowded with people and we have people in our peripheral but we don't have anyone right in front of us that they're give, we're giving attention to. How many of our families have multiple screens going on while we're watching something? And so your wife asks you a question. You go, huh, what? Yeah, because huh, huh? yeah, you're distracted. Even though you're close, there's this feeling that we're having time together, but we're distracted in that time. And your time with the Lord is no, uh, no less true than that. You can easily be distracted. I want to come back to this at the end of my message because that's been an area in my life. I've even been distracted when I've taken time to be with the Lord. Having something remind me of a notification or something I've got to do that moves me outside of focusing on God. Some of us might also be discouraged. And I think about uh, how many of us come here and we're just discouraged. Life uh, has had some bumps in it. Maybe you've lost something or someone. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you, maybe you feel like a failure and your life is just this constant strain of one thing after another. It's easy to be discouraged. And I think when we when we operate with a perspective, and again, we don't always say this, but we pray like it and we expect God to do things the way we want him to do. And when he doesn't, we can easily get discouraged in our faith. Others of us can be damaged faith. And if you grew up in a cult, you might know what this looks like. Uh, or you grew up in more of a legalistic environment where where people are always judging you and you're always feeling like you don't measure up. Or when you're doing a real good job, you feel like everyone else doesn't measure up. And so it robs you of grace. It robs you of that, that picture of the gospel in your life. 
Others of us can be deceived. And you know what? Again, we don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to buy a lie today. But it's something within us that's resisting God's word. It's something within us that resists God's love from moving from us to others. Maybe it's an attitude that we think that is, is really important, but it's keeping us from giving the truth and the love of God to others or even to ourselves. I find myself, I can be deceived when I, when the wise people in my life try to correct me or speak into me, but I resist them. I want to do that or I want to make that choice or keep that relationship going when I know it's destructive. We can be deceived in our faith. Others of us can be disconnected where we just take time off from God and we go and pursue our own direction. And the problem with this is it has the appearance of liberating us, appearance of freedom. But in the sense, we really just get the picture of looking in the mirror and being trapped in ourselves. We can be disconnected. And you know what? I've heard a whole bunch of excuses for being disconnected in your faith. We got busy with the kids. It's just where we're at right now. So we don't grow in our walk with the very people and the places God has placed in our lives to grow in a relationship with him. Well, I didn't like this that was happening at the church. So we decided to disconnect for a while. Okay, so who is really hurt by that? The reality is we all have our excuses for disconnecting. Maybe it's a pastor or maybe it's a person we know or those people at that church. We can make all those things to disconnect from our faith. The other one is that many of us can be discontent in our faith. On the outside, this thing seems harmless, actually good, that we would have a holy discontentment, that we would never be satisfied with where we are. We always want to be pursuing the Lord. We always want to be doing for the Lord. And we can buy this lie. I bought it. I've been there. I've been discontent. I've been discontent with things not being the way I want them, with people not doing what I want them to do. And you know what? You can buy into the lie that you can make people happy. And I did that. You know what? You can't make people happy. Contentment is found in a relationship with Christ, and it's not something you keep striving for. It's in the confidence of knowing that God has provided everything you needed in Christ So you think about why are we there? Why are we at the place we're at in our faith if we're stuck? You know, we could use the quick word sin. Yes, there is sin in our lives. There's sin in the world. And we can use also the uh, self-help method of I just got to do this. I got to go to church. I got to read the Bible. I've got to serve a ministry. I've got to do all these things. We can just convince ourselves if I just keep doing. But I found that doing itself actually distracts you from the heart problem. So what we want to call you all who are stuck in themselves or in a relationship with Christ is we want to call you to three things that last forever. God, his word, and people. And your heavenly father, your God, is passionately committed to your growth. He sees you like a loving father sees his child and longs for you to grow in a relationship with him. And not only longs for you, but he's provided all the resources in Christ for you to grow in your relationship with Christ, with him. And, and, and so we got to link back with God and link back with his word and link back with the people he's placed in our lives who help us grow in our faith. 
I want to craft for you a vision, a vision from a message I heard about 12 years ago on what God uses to grow our faith. It's transformational for me because I could realize that it wasn't just in doing one more thing. It wasn't just in you've got to just spend three hours in the word each day and then you'll grow. You're just bound to grow as if osmosis would happen if I just got close to the Bible. It really addressed a a long-term commitment that our Heavenly Father has for us. And remember, God is committed to you long-term. And he's in it for the long haul with you. He's provided long-term, long-haul solutions to the very issue of us moving away from sin and following Jesus Christ. And he uses these five things over the course of your walk with him. These things are going to come. You're going to realize that. It's not just in doing one more thing. There's actually people that God has placed in our lives for us to grow with. There's actually experiences in our lives that God doesn't waste to grow us. And so let's take a look at them. The first one is this, is God puts us in loving relationships to grow us. And I think about that, the loving relationships in our lives that grow us, that show us Christ, that show us a picture of what does it look like to follow Jesus. Do you think about some of those loving relationships in your life? I had parents who loved Jesus and they loved me. They certainly taught me stuff in the word, but the most I learned from my parents was what I caught through them loving me and showing me what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. I know it's real easy for us to approach our kids like, you just need to know this. If you knew this, then everything would be great. But if you're not, it's not just knowing the truth, it's showing the love of God to your children. I remember a guy came to me. His name is Tom Frankie. I was in middle school. I grew six inches in one summer. I went from first string to left out of the basketball team. And everything was uncoordinated. The family joke was if there was a pole in the middle of a large room, Joe would hit it. (laughs) But Tom came into my life through a camping program at, at Silver Birch Ranch up in northern Wisconsin. And Tom was a counselor there. He said, Joe, you're too old for the camp, but come and be a uh, junior counselor with me. And he built into me. And someone believed that God could actually use me as a seventh grader. And I remember going for a walk with Tom. And he would take me and he'd go, Joe, I just want to let you know, I see God working in you. You are a leader. I see people listening to you, which means that guard your heart. Grow your heart for the Lord. Follow Jesus and represent him and and, and be that man he's called you to be. Someone believed in me. It's amazing. Outside of my family. And I just looked at how much I grew that summer because someone loved me. I think we all have that desire in our lives to be fully known and yet fully loved. That's your heavenly father. He knows the truth about you and me. And he chooses to love us anyway. That's God's uh, unfailing loving kindness in our lives. Proverbs 17, 17 says "A, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Love that passage. You know why? Because it's true. It's true. When you go through a difficult time, when you go through adversity, who's your first call? It's the ones who love you. It's not necessarily the ones who know the most. Because many times the people who know the most, they, in, they intimidate you or they tell you, well, you just need to do this, this, and this. And they become problem solvers and you just feel like, oh, it's the people who you feel safe with. The people who know you fully and love you completely. 
Loving relationships. Do you realize God has placed people around you to grow in a relationship with you? Paul saw it in Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.5, he's reminded of Timothy, of his sincere faith. A faith faith that dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. And then he was sure of dwelt in him as well. Do you see the multi-generations of loving relationships? Lois, and we don't hear her name too much anymore. But Lois was a grandmother. She probably never had the gospel, but she believed in God and built in Timothy a fear for the Lord through a Jewish faith that ultimately when Jesus was presented to him, he realized that it's grace. It's not the law anymore. He was able to move from his background because he saw a grandmother loving him and he saw a mother, Eunice. There's another great name that we don't hear a whole lot of, but... um, Maybe if you're pregnant, you might want to pass. No, don't do it. Okay. So, so these were women, godly women who loved, who loved Timothy and God used to grow his faith. Who's one person in your life who loved you and showed you Jesus? You got a name? Share it with the person next to you. Go ahead. This is church. You can talk. Go ahead. One person who loved you and showed you Jesus. Okay, think about that. Don't you thrive in loving relationships? Don't marriages thrive and grow closer to the Lord when we're loving God and loving each other? God uses loving relationships to grow us. Secondly, is practical teaching. I think about practical teaching and I think about someone who's taught you the word of God and challenged you to follow it. It's not just someone who teaches you what to know, but also someone teaches you how to grow. That practical teaching is what is a great blessing and God uses uh, to, to, to grow you in your faith. You're here this morning. You made a decision to be here because you wanted to grow in your faith. And you realize that when the family of God gathers together and we worship and you hear practical teaching... Uh, that you can grow. And when you follow God's word through an environment like this, you grow. It's not the only thing, but it's a thing that God uses to grow us in our faith. Jesus talks about not just hearing the word, but also doing it. He gives the parable of the two houses built on different things. Look at what he says in Matthew 7, verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And listen to this. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. What's that rock? That rock is, is someone who hears these words of mine and does them. Because look at this one. And in everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's the difference, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell. Same thing happens. And the floods came. And the winds blew. And beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Do you see the difference of it? See, when times are good, the foundation's not as important. But we don't build the foundation of a, of a house or of our hearts for just the good times. 
The good times means, wasn't that a great message? It sounded so good. Wasn't that a good message? I agreed with it. What ultimately we have to move our teaching to is is to applying it, is to living it, is to experiencing God's word through our lives. It's the application that shows us over and over, and I believed God and trusted him. See, that's what faith is, is faith is trusting God in, in someone who you do know or know enough about in an area that you don't know what you're going to do or what's going to happen. That's why it's faith, because you put your trust in someone to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. I think about the practical teachers in my life. I think about when I was in college, I was going through a difficult time, and I listened to Chuck Swindoll every morning. I don't know if you know who Chuck Swindoll is. He's a great Bible teacher, and I'd listen to Insight for Living on my radio as I drove through. And and one thing Chuck just taught me is he gave me a greater passion for God's word. I wanted to not just know it, but I wanted to grow in it, and I wanted to follow Jesus. At the end of his message, you always had applications, which I would go, yep, that's me. Sometimes I would look around the car thinking, is someone else? How did he know I'm going through that? And it's easy to just be attracted to a teacher and like your and build a fan base for your teacher. But that's not what is most important in practical teaching. It's the truth of God's word and it's applying it. I think some of us can be really attracted to one teacher or one type of teacher or one type of Bible study. And we can ch- we can chuck out all the other types of Bible studies or all the other that don't do it the way that we want to do it. And we build our fan base for someone. And I would just say, don't do that. Go slow on doing that. If you've got a favorite, that's great. That's great. But don't say no one else can teach me like that person. Be open to that. I, I lead a group of ninth grade boys and from time to time they speak and they teach the word. And I've been willing to submit myself to listening to a ninth grader tell me what God is doing in their lives, how they're growing in the word, what this truth means. Are they all doctrinally right? No, no. But could I blow them out of the water with my, yes, I could. But I choose not to. I choose to learn. And you know what? I've just learned when I've stepped away from my favorites and opened up the door for God to teach me, as long as the Bible's being opened up, I'm ready to learn. And I'm ready to grow in this word. Because it's not just what I know about God's word. It's what I know about God and my willingness to follow him. Some of you may like me better than all the other pastors. Can I just ask you, don't do that. It's not a compliment to me. It's not good for you to come up to me and go, oh, I'll tell you, when you're preaching, I'm just ready. When the other one's, eh, not so much. I'm glad you need to be here. I don't. I don't. God, this is one of the areas God could replace me in. I'm not looking to leave. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, be careful on that. I, I'm, I'm speaking about 40 weekends a year. But what whoever we have up here is going to lead us to the word. It's going to lead us to be practical with God's word and not just listen to it, but do what it says. Be open to other leaders and even be developing your gift in teaching. Another thing that God uses are personal disciplines. And I think about these personal disciplines. I think about private disciplines like prayer, like studying the scriptures alone with God. Like worshiping God when it's just you and him. 
by it's like giving. It's it's like memorizing scripture. It's like meditating on the scriptures. It's just you and God. God uses these to grow us. Now, some of these things we can go and say, I met with God for three hours today. I'm so spiritual. And we do that. Or I got up at four. Well, I've gotten up at four and I've closed my eyes and I went back to sleep. It doesn't mean we're more spiritual. But you know what? We are called into practices. We're all called into personal practices with God alone. And they're not to be flaunted. Prayer is one thing we don't go and just scale the the English grammar so that we can be great prayers in public. Jesus really addressed that in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. That's the motive of their prayers. And Jesus saw and sees the motives of our hearts when we pray. He said, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. When you give in the offering, if you're looking for some of us to notice how much you give and you're looking for this, we could do that. We could applaud. But that's your reward. You want to grow in your walk with God. You want to develop and deepen in, in his uh, in, in, in living in his love. Just do it for him. Don't do it to show off to anyone. That's the major difference between a religion and a relationship. A relationship is concerned about the heart of God more than the applause of men. And so in these personal disciplines, Jesus modeled it for us. Look at it in prayer in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, he rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed. Jesus modeled that for us. He showed us that, that that prayer is a key and relationship and talking with God's a key value in our walks. I've found, I've found that someone's prayer life is really the foundation for their growth in their walk with Christ. And I'm not going to tell you to pray for three hours or two hours, but just the regular daily practice of meeting with God and trusting him through prayer of confessing your heart before him. I found that the most critical people in our church have struggled the most with prayer. Something when you're not trusting God, when you're only seeing your picture, it's easy how quickly things can go negative, no matter what the issue And so this private practice is a valuable thing that we're called into, that God grows us. And again, be careful if you have a great routine of private practices where you're growing. Or or, (laughs) I remember one of my friends did a 40-day fast. And um, he just had like chicken broth and, and water. So it wasn't like everything. But all other foods he didn't. And he just lost like, I mean, it was a best weight weight plan for him i guess but he got to day 38 and we had a pastor's meeting this is when i was in chattanooga and guess who walks in with the supersized mcdonald's happy meal okay i do and i didn't know he was fasting so i'm eating this double quarter pounder with cheese and a supersized fries and there i am going hey would you like some fries and he's just sitting there i'm sure something's going through his mind 
But then they said, and now the speaker of today is Craig. And Craig's going to show us he's on his day 38 of a fast. And I just slipped down underneath (laughs) the table and tried to duck out. You would have never known he didn't wear, you know, sackcloth and ashes. But yet he talked about how that practice, just his hunger for food, taught him to, to grow and develop a hunger for God. And it wasn't to brag about him. It was just to, just to show how God uses something to grow, to grow him. And I would encourage you, do them, but do them quietly with God alone for his eyes and no one else's. And then there's life-giving ministry. Boy, life-giving ministry is where you move from receiving gifts from God to actually exercising those gifts for God, advancing his kingdom in the lives of others, encouraging others, sharing the gospel with others, serving in your church, serving outside of your church. We have a, we have a, a, a phrase here. It's everyone's a minister. Everywhere is a ministry. Think about that. Look around you in this room. I am not your priest, okay? I'm not. I don't represent you before God. You don't have to impress me. It's not my position that gets you any, you know, place higher with God. Some of us grew up with that perspective. In First Peter, it really tells us that we are all priests. We're the kingdom of priests. And we have the work of Jesus to provide everything we need. Everyone in here, if you know Jesus and are following him, are a minister. And can I say this? Every place you go is a ministry. God is going to, and and if that's true, then what happens in here is only part of the story. What happens in here is that we grow and that we hear practical teaching. But but really, the, the beauty of what happens in here is what happens out there. And that means God in just an hour. I wish I could do it. You know, like that find, find your iPhone app that we keep track of our kids and, and spouses on all the time. And where are they in this city? You know, it's if we could just track you in the next hour, hour and a half, God is going to move you out of this church and he's going to put you in a neighborhood or he's going to put you in a place of work or he's going to put you in a family. And we're going to see how if everyone followed Jesus and was in part of life-giving ministry. Just look at the potential that God has us as a church. We literally, this room alone could get its arms around Topeka with the gospel. Think about life-giving ministry. Paul talks about it in Romans 12. He says that we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He says, let us use them. Don't let us watch them. Don't let us just receive them, but let us engage. Let us use them. If prophecy, well, in proportion to your faith. If service, well, serve then. If one teaches, teach. If one exhorts, exhort. The one who contributes, do it generously. The one who leads, do it with zeal. The one who acts in mercy, do it with cheerfulness. It's the attitude that we're engaged into of life-giving ministry. And think about how many of you are here because someone shared what God had given them with you. I mean, so many of us are here because someone didn't just keep it in. They let it out and they gave it to you. And that you are not a dead end for the blessings of God. You are a highway 
for the kingdom of God to flow from your life to someone else's. God uses ministry. I'm at the point in my life where I must serve in some place to grow. And I found that when I've stepped away from serving, I've stepped away from ministry and made it more about me, guess what tends to be challenged? I tend to get stuck in faith. Because God uses life-giving ministry. And then defining moments. This is the fifth thing God uses to grow our faith. And what I mean by that is I, I mean, like think with me. Someone died who was close to you. Someone, oh, you may have been divorced. You may have had a breakup. You may have gone through a bankruptcy. You may have had a failure. You got fired. Maybe you decided you need, needed treatment. These are defining moments in our lives. And the world says, boy, how can God love you if you ha- that happened to you? The world says that proves there is no God. Because no loving person would allow that to happen to you. Remember Joseph? Remember when we talked about Joseph several weeks ago? Joseph was traded by his brothers for money. He was sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt and he rises to one of the top positions in Egypt. But then he meets his brothers again. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. As long as I don't grow in a defining moment, I'm only going to see evil as a personal vendetta. But the, the beauty of the life of Joseph is that he saw even the bad things that happened to him. And he was willing to know that God is with him. And he's willing to hand, hang on to the hand of God. I love what James says about this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produced steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Think with me. Think with me. Steadfastness. Hanging on to the hand of God when I don't know what's happening to me. In a defining moment, when everything, the floor drops out of your family, the floor drops out of your work, the floor drops out, uh, someone moves, moves your cheese, if you, if you know a business book like that. What do you do? Do you run? Do you walk away? Do you question God's love for you? Or are you willing to remain steadfast? And trust God. That's what faith is. How do you grow faith? Exercise faith. And it's these defining moments that God calls us. The world says it's pointless. God says, here's my purpose. We're willing to trust him. Can I also go another way with this? What about when everything happens according to your way? Let's say you get the promotion. You get the job you've always dreamed of. Everything happens. Your kids get on honor roll and you have six bumper stickers for each one on the back of your car proclaiming to the world how awesome they are. Your Facebook is littered with all their new medals and pictures of shiny kids. But can I just, what happens then? Do you take credit for that? See, I've known, I've known people whose success has destroyed their faith. Because they took credit for what God entrusted to them. See, it's these defining moments that God comes and says, will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you take that next step with me? And if we're honest, everyone in here who's held on to the hand of God when you've had a defining moment in your life, 
you could say, this is how I grew. I came to the end of myself. When my child died, I had no, but I had God. And here's what God gave me. Here's what people who loved me gave me, who loved God and held on to my hand. So we just grow through those times. Most of the significant changes of my faith happened when I lost something. Because God is always willing to be found in things that I lose. So just look at these five things, okay? Here's five things. Loving relationships, practical teaching, personal disciplines, life-giving ministry, and defining moments. Where are you right now? Where are you stuck? Some of us might be stuck in an experience that happened to us uh, five years ago, and we just haven't been able to trust God through that. Where do we go? I'm not here to put guilt and shame on you. Some of us uh, have not been meeting with the Lord in, in personal disciplines, and those are just things we think we can't do. It's only for the super spiritual. But you know what? Maybe that would be. Maybe so you make it so you're not just eating in here but you're able to be be fed and feed yourself in God's word out there. Whatever it is, I want you to think about one of those. Some of you may be disconnected in your own little world and away from loving relationships. So maybe that step of you is say, I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to join in with my family. Some of you are receiving ministry and watching ministry so much that you're making pot shots at the ministry here and why it's not as good as it should be, but you're not getting involved in it. Become part of the solution. Take that step of faith to grow in your faith. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose one area of growth. Identify your area of growth and then commit to a two-month plan. Here's what it looked like for me. I would meet with the Lord every morning and I would sit down on my recliner chair and I'd have my iPad in front of me. I'd also have my journal because I want to do what we're doing as a church. It's hard for me to lead if we're not doing, if I'm not doing what I'm calling you into. So I'm meeting with the Lord. I open up my iPad. I read the passage and all of a sudden, Joe, you have six notifications for today. It's so-and-so's birthday. It's so-and-so's anniversary. Look, you have a meeting at this time. Uh, you know, this is what your day looks like. And Apple tells me you have a very busy day most of the days. Here's my problem. It's so easy for me to read the passage and jump right into processing my day. And yet what I need is I'm too busy not to pray. I've got to pray. I went and saw the movie War Room this week. And one of the things that movie really just taught me, my wife saw it before and went with me again. And it just showed me how much I need time with God, pouring out my heart to him, trusting him with the areas of faith, trusting him with the church that I worry about a lot and the church that sometimes can be overwhelming for me, trusting him with my children, trusting him with all the issues in my life and thanking him and honoring him and bringing him glory. And I need that time. And yet that was the time that was getting robbed. So here's what I do. And again, I'm not against technology. We use it here all the time. I just needed a technology-free time with the Lord where I didn't have a distraction from the outside. And I went old school. I opened up my Bible. See this? We actually have these in our homes. As a pastor, I have probably 20 in my home. I blew the dust off of them and I opened them again. I'm sorry to admit this, but this is my reality. 
And I cleared distraction away so I could meet with God and I could pray with God. Where I could listen, where I could confess my heart that's been wounded and hurt. Where I can trust God with people I'm angry with and I can forgive him or them like Jesus has forgiven me. See, before, this was cut short by, and you've got this, and you've got this, and you've got this. Relationships die when we're hurried or distracted. And I can't afford that. So my two-month plan is this. I'm going to have a distraction-free time with the Lord. And Fred, here's the third thing. I want you to ask me how my time in prayer is with God when you see me. And if I mess, I'll promise I won't lie to you. And if I messed up, give me grace, okay? That's the type of accountability you need is someone who is for you, who, who knows what your plan is. Share your plan with someone and have them ask you how you're doing with it. Here's the deal. Your heavenly father is committed to his children growing. So choose a short-term plan that moves you in a long-term direction. See, the long-term direction of a prayer life with Jesus is a deep follower of Jesus. Choose something that has a trajectory that's long-term, but don't, don't do more than one right now. I know you can look at all five of these and say, I need this, 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 this. I need to do this and this. That will move your relationship with Jesus very much, very quickly to performance. And you're not in because you performed and got in. You're in because of grace. So live as his child. That's your first calling. Live as, his, as your child. There's only one Heavenly Father you have. Love him. Seek after him. Deepen in a relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for calling us through Jesus to be your children. Father, we just uh, we look at our faith and we just lift it up to you. Would you grow our faith? You're the one who's provided all the resources for that. It's not going to come from us trying harder or even wanting to do better. It's going to come from a movement of your Holy Spirit in our lives to draw us closer to you. Lord, move us towards one thing that we can practice that will deepen our trust and faith of you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.